This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. We're going to do commendations in just a bit, and we're going to get to your calls in a bit. I want to thank Tony for uh, doing double duty today, along with Elias. Uh, Matt Blaze is out sick today, and uh, I'm not going to get into his personal business. It's, you know, he'll share with whatever he wants to share, but I will say I don't think this was just an incident, uh, an incident of the Monday flu. Uh, he sent us a text message. Uh, made it sound like he was pretty sick, and um, apparently he's going to be out tomorrow as well. Tony, that was a somewhat concerning SMS text message from uh, Matt, right? Wasn't it? I mean, again, it's his business. We don't want to out any of his yeah, personal issues. Yeah, you know whatever's going on with him. I hope everything is okay. Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, not that I have that much information. But they, they they weren't really sure what um, the story was, but he was not not feeling well, and um, hope, uh, hopefully he's well enough that he can come back on Wednesday. We'll see. Obviously, we wish him the best, uh, but I'm happy to have Tony and Elias here, even though uh, Elias did knock us off the air for a few minutes last hour. But hey, you know what? You go to war with the army you got. That's it. All right. Without further delay, it is time for. The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. Here's a question for you. What is the most popular spirit in America? At least last year. What do you think? What would you say? Some type of wine? Maybe bourbon? That's made a comeback. What about good old-fashioned vodka? Well, hard seltzer, the hard seltzer high noon was the leading spirits brand by volume in the last year, according to New Data. I I drink High Noon. I like High Noon. I have to tell you, I'm absolutely floored by this. And now that White Claw has become a little too trendy, I may make the transition to High Noon. But according to Impact Database, the High Noon, the ready-to-drink producer, overtook Tito's handmade vodka to become the biggest-selling spirits brand by volume in the country last year. I mean, this is actually in 2022, and then they continued last year on a tear. They nearly doubled their sales from the previous year. This is incredible to me. Yeah, But they sold 21.4 million cases of this stuff last year. That is Extraordinary. Extraordinary. In comparison, Tito's reached approximately 12.1 million cases last year, which was it's great. It's growth of what they had the year before that. But hats off to you, High Noon. It's not just a Gary Cooper Western anymore. All right. I want to commend Mar Galceron. Mar Galceron has made history. As Spain's first member of parliament with Down syndrome. I think this is really interesting. So uh, she, for decades, has battled to ensure that people with intellectual disabilities were part of the conversation. And I think you can see 
the extent of the progress that she's made because she has now become Spain's first parliamentarian with Down syndrome. This is totally unprecedented. And I love this. I think this is great because society is starting to see that people with Down syndrome have a lot to contribute. But there's a long road to hoe on this. I I give this – I don't know her politics. I may – Agree with her on everything. I may disagree with her on on everything. I, I have no idea, but you know, I'm not really involved in the nitty gritty of the world of Spanish politics. But I don't care what her politics are. I think this is an incredibly impressive accomplishment, and I think it's an, a, tr- a tremendously impressive feat for people with Down syndrome. And I think she's honestly a model for anyone that is dealing with similar intellectual disabilities. So. Mar Galceron, I do commend you. I want to commend a gentleman, a UK man, who saved a mom and her three-year-old daughter from floodwaters. A bystander rescued this mom and her three-year-old from a car caught in floodwaters. Liam Stitch, who's from Birmingham, managed to save the woman and her toddler from a car submerged in flood water near a bridge in Hall Green. So he said when he was asked about this in interviews, if faced with the same situation, what would you do? He said he would do it again and again. So in an interview with uh, ITV News, he said as soon as the back end started floating, he phoned 999, which in their country is like 911, and gave them the location. He basically told them where they were, and then from that point, she hit the current. So Liam had to act, or it was over. It was either he does nothing, or and these folks die, or do something at that point. So he smashes the back passenger window and grabs the child to get her to safety. He then runs back to his van to get ratchet straps and secures the car to the bridge so it would not drift away. I think this is incredible. I think this is incredible because it demonstrates, for strangers, I want to make clear, it demonstrates an ability to demonstrate courage at a time when time is precious. It's also an incredible amount of quick thinking on Mr. Stitch's part. This is just incredible. So <clears throat> the he puts this the ratchet straps to secure the car to the bridge so it wouldn't drift away and that allowed him to get the mother out of the car which was submerged in water. Now his partner, Tia Draper who's five months pregnant, helped in rescuing the three-year-old girl from the flood water. I mean this is just a wonderful story and I'm glad everybody's okay. All right. Um, You know, we've been covering a lot of these airplane issues, right? But this is a very nice story. Kelly Levine on TikTok noticed her five-month-old daughter, Romy, peering over at the woman sitting next to them on a plane because she was crocheting. And I love this story because my grandmother was very into crocheting, and I always think of her whenever... I see a story involving crocheting. And she was just staring at this woman and amazed at how fast her hands were moving. So the woman and Kelly Levine 
start exchanging a few looks. Eventually, the two of them begin talking, and she learned that this woman, Megan Rubin, recognized Kelly because they'd coincidentally been on the same flight on the way down to Mexico. So throughout the trip, Kelly and Rubin continued chatting back and forth, mostly about Romy, the daughter, who kept eyeing Rubin's crocheting. It entertained her for hours of the flight, just kind of observing her. And so at the by the, by the end, and this is actually caught on video, this stranger, Megan Rubin, knit this child a beanie during her first flight. So while in the air, Kelly and her husband, who lives in Hoboken, New Jersey, they noticed Rubin working feverishly on her crocheting product. They never asked about what she was making, but they said never in a million years that it would be for them. So when the plane lands, Kelly says Rubin turned to her and said simply, okay, I'm done, and hands her a yellow knit hat just big enough for Romy. So uh, she shared this now on TikTok, and it's become a whole viral thing. I love this story. So uh, Miss Rubin, Megan Rubin, I commend you. I must also commend Marie Engelhorn, 31-year-old Austrian-German activist Mar- Marlene Engelhorn, who lives in Vienna, inherited a $27 million fortune from her grandmother. Now, she's giving it all away and wants the public's help to decide where it goes. Well, Marlene, I could give you a suggestion or two. No, I'm serious. But um, this is a 31-year-old woman inherited this fortune from her grandmother, and she lives in Vienna, and she's the co-founder of the Tax Me Now campaign to combat wealth inequality. And she's now, she, you know, a lot of people who are saying tax me more, tax me more, when it comes for them to actually get money, they're not eager to pay it in taxes. I give this woman credit. She's literally putting her money where her mouth is. And so earlier last week, 10,000 addresses in Austria were randomly selected and sent invitations to apply for membership to her group. And they're going to require people to complete a short survey before a research institute narrows the applicants down to 50 people, resulting in the sample being representative of the Austrian population. She told the Times, I've inherited a fortune and therefore power without having done anything for it. And the state doesn't even want to tax it. Meanwhile, many people in full-time jobs were struggling to make ends meet and paying tax on every euro they earned from their labor. Back in uh, 2008, Austria eliminated their inheritance tax. So she's going to give it all the way with the help of these 50 people offering her suggestions on where it should go. I think it's really interesting. I have to give a uh, posthumous commendation to one of my favorite New York Mets. He was a player, a coach, and a manager. Um, I never really got to see his playing career, but I did know him very, not personally, but I knew him very well as a fan, as both the coach and the manager of the New York Mets. Bud Harrelson had has passed away. He had quite an extraordinary run with the Mets organization. He held the distinction of being the only person 
to wear a Mets uniform for both their 1969 and 1986 World Championships. And now, if you think about it, those are those were less than 20 years apart, right? I mean, there you had about or about 16 years apart, right, around there. And yet, there were only or uh, 17 years apart. There was only one guy that was a Met as a player for the 69 team and then as a coach for the 86 team. And it was Bud Harrelson. He was a tremendous defensive shortstop. And he was um, liked by everybody. And then he went, and after he left Major League Baseball, became the owner of the Long Island Ducks. So this is a guy that just seemed to love baseball and love people. And uh, he was once presented with a nice guy award at a banquet. And I think that's really the term that best symbolizes him. Great defensive shortstop, great coach, but based on everybody, everything everyone has said, he was an incredibly nice guy. I will say, though, that uh, he has had dementia these last couple of years, which apparently has been pretty debilitating for him and his family. And I, and I hate to hear that. I hate stories of anybody battling with uh, dementia. You know, talking with some friends of mine Friday... And we're talking about death and dying because my friend's father, unfortunately, was not doing well. And ultimately, he's passed away. But he was saying how dementia has got to be one of the worst ways to go, especially if it's severely debilitating. And I kind of have come to believe that myself because you really lose who you are long before you die. And that's just... uh, such a shame. All right. I uh, want to commend Cape Verde, Cabo Verde, to be specific. Cabo Verde has been officially certified as malaria-free. That's right. It, Cabo Verde is a malaria-free country, which marks a pretty significant achievement in global health. Uh, they are joining the ranks of 43 countries and one territory that the WHO has awarded that certification of being malaria-free. Congratulations to you, Cabo Verde. I must uh, also commend the uh, recently the the president-elect of Taiwan. He, uh, Mr. Lai Ching Tae, the presidential candidate for Taiwan's ruling Democratic Progressive Party, he won an election on Saturday that China had framed as a choice between war and peace. And even with that, the Taiwanese still chose the pro Taiwan candidate or the pro independence candidate instead of the pro Chinese candidate. And this guy demonstrated a lot of gumption. Look, I'm not that eager to get involved in a war between China and Ma- Taiwan and mainland China. But there's no taking away this guy's courage. There's no taking away his skill as a political as a political tactician because he was trailing for a time and made a remarkable political comeback. And when you're running against the Chinese Communist Party, which essentially this man was, because they were absolutely trying to put their thumb on the scale. This is no small feat. Congratulations to Mr. Lai Ching Tae.
president of Taiwan. I want to commend Luke the Nuke Littler. This young man is 16 years old and one of the greatest darts prodigies in the world. And he is now taking aim at the world title. He defeated a player three times his age to become the youngest person to reach the semifinals of world championships. Luke the Nuke Littler really is the Bobby Fischer of darts. 16 years old, and he kept this remarkable sporting dream alive, defeating a player three times his age and becoming the youngest player by a long shot to get to the semifinals of the world championships. I think this is really impressive. I I think this is great. Um, I want to commend South Korea. South Korea has finally banned the production and sale of dog meat. Look, I know it's hypocritical for me to eat fish like, like crazy and not cry foul when people are eating foul, not go nuts when countries allow the production and sale of beef. But for some reason, I can't explain why. Maybe we're all just a byproduct of the culture that we came up with. For some reason, dog is just different. I don't believe dogs should be eaten. Now, it's easy for me as a well-fed person to say this. If you were starving and the only thing you could eat was a dog, okay. Maybe maybe I, I would feel differently in that circumstance. But I, I think, honestly, it's been totally barbaric that South Korea has been having this thriving dog meat market for this long. And I'm glad it's going away. South Korea, I do commend you. Penultimately, I want to commend the Michigan Wolverines national champions once again. This is one of the greatest college football franchises of all time. Congratulations, Michigan Wolverines. And finally, I want to uh, commend East Palo Alto, California. This city, the small Bay Area city, used to make national headlines as the murder capital of the U.S. This tiny little city, which had a population of 24,000 people 30 years ago, had more murders per hundred, you know, per resident than any other city in America. Well, East Palo Alto has gone from being the murder capital of the country to totally murder-free. There was not a single person murdered there last year. This city, I mean, look, some of that might be luck, but this book, this city is a textbook example of how to turn your city around when it comes to crime. Cities around the country that are dealing with a murder problem, you should take a page from East Palo Alto and look at some of the strategies they've used, some of the people involved, some of the things they've been doing, and I think you'd be well advised to try to emulate them. From murder capital of the country to zero murders, absolutely extraordinary, and East Palo Alto, I do commend you. All right. Um, If you want to comment on anyone that I have commended, you are welcome to call me. I know I've been negligent in getting to the phones uh, so far, but uh, no more guests today. So we will have plenty of time for your phone calls. And there's one open line right now. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. What I needed, a uh, birthday bumper music selection from Jeff Benjamin. Although my son is very into cars, if he knew that this band was called The Cars, I bet you he would like their music, even if he didn't care for the music, just because it's car-related. He loves everything, anything, anything car-related. Um, so today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And look, Martin Luther King Jr., an extraordinary person on every different level. One of the things that I do like to mention, though, on this day and other days as well, is his assassination. Because there's an aspect of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination that is rarely talked about. You know, uh, James Earl Ray is generally regarded by history as the lone assassin of Martin Luther King Jr., but... There was, in 1999, a civil suit decided by a jury that ruled that Martin Luther King was the result, was killed as the result of a conspiracy. So when, you know, people love to use that term dismissively or derisively, conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theory. When we talk about the conspiracy to kill Martin Luther King... A jury found that there was a conspiracy. And just to give you a little bit of the background, uh, the in 1993, Lloyd Jowers appeared on an ABC News program called Primetime Live, and he claimed on television that he was paid a hundred thousand dollars by alleged Memphis mobster Frank Liberto to help organize the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. Jowers owned a Memphis coffee shop directly near the Lorraine Motel, where King was allegedly shot by James Earl Ray. Jowers had remained silent for 25 years after King's assassination. After watching Ray's HBO mock trial on TV... Jowers produced his confession and claimed that he was part of a larger conspiracy to assassinate King and frame Ray as a patsy. He also claimed that Raul, 
someone named Raul, Memphis police officers and the mafia had been involved. He specifically named Memphis Police Lieutenant Earl Clark as the shooter. So in 1999, a civil suit alleged that Jowers and others had conspired to assassinate King. The King family turned to William Pepper, who had defended Ray in his HBO mock trial to represent them in the wrongful death lawsuit. So just understand what what went on here. So William Pepper is an attorney, and um, I thought about inviting him back on today because the interview that I did with him three years ago today, it, it for some reason that's the one interview that is gone. We only have three minutes of it, and I would love love it if we had the whole interview. I don't know why it was destroyed, or I mean, I don't want to get conspiratorial, but I think it's just very interesting that that's the one interview that that's not available. I would love to post it again, but it's it's gone. I don't know why. It, it aired. I remember it airing. I was here for it, but it's it's gone. I don't know why. But the th- this guy, William Pepper, was representing James Earl Ray, and then he represented the King family. So the guy represented the assassin, supposedly, and then represented the family of the guy he assassinated. It's pretty rare. Pretty rare. So during this four-week trial, the civil trial, Pepper brought forward over 70 witnesses and thousands of documents. The jury that heard the case took only an hour of deliberations to reach a unanimous verdict that King was assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. They found Jowers responsible and also found that governmental agencies were among the conspirators. The King family was granted the $100 they requested in damages, just $100. And they saw it as vindication. King's son, Dexter, said this is the period at the end of the sentence. So please, after today, we don't want questions like, do you believe James Earl Ray killed your father? I've been hearing that all my life. No, I don't. I just want to understand. This is the son of Martin Luther King. And this is the end of it. So Dexter further emphasized that the shooter was Memphis Police Department Officer Lieutenant Earl Clark. So even though you're going to see in various coverage today that James Earl Ray was the shooter, James Earl Ray was the shooter, not only does the King family, at least the immediate family, not believe that, but a jury found that that wasn't the case. And yet you point that out and you're dismissed as a conspiracy theorist. Coretta Scott King said after the verdict, there is abundant evidence of a major high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband. The jury found that the mafia and various government agencies were deeply involved in the assassination. Mr. Ray was set up to take the blame. That's what Coretta Scott King said. So I do think, you know, whereas on the JFK issue, I I remain pretty uh, agnostic from time to time, on this Martin Luther King Jr. assassination, I absolutely believe he was killed as a result of a conspiracy. And I think in part, part of the reason he was killed was because his commentary and his activism had moved from civil rights and voting rights and issues related to racial justice more towards opposing the Vietnam War and opposing the things that the military-industrial complex was 
was foisting on the country at the time. Now, this decision, I want to be clear, is not without controversy. The decision caused the Department of Justice to reopen the case. And uh, Janet Reno, the attorney general at the time, announced that after looking into the assassination, they found no evidence of a conspiracy. Oh, okay. All right. Janet Reno found no evidence. Well, that settles it. Thanks. See you later. So they found the Department of Justice, in fairness, I don't want to be too dismissive because, you know, this is a serious thing. The Department of Justice found numerous inconsistencies in Jauer's statements. It also concluded there was no proof Frank Liberto belonged to the mafia and that, in its opinion, the DOJ, the witnesses that supported Jowers were not credible uh, or they were contradictory. Furthermore, it expressed the belief that Jowers fabricated his story for financial reward. There you have it. I mean, there are other investigative journalists that... Um, that I respect, like Gerald Posner, who said that um, it was James Earl Ray and only James Earl Ray. But a jury found that that wasn't the case. Now, William Pepper, that lawyer that brought this case on behalf of the King family, he is the greatest expert on this issue that is alive. He's written many books exploring the um, Martin Luther King assassination. He is, uh, maybe I will try and have him back. You know, the issue with him is he's very well educated. He's got more degrees than a thermometer. He's got a law degree. He's got uh, two master's degree, bachelor's from Columbia. He's got a master's in, actually he's got three master's degree and a law degree and a BA from Columbia. Very bright guy. But when he speaks, and you'll hear this because I've, I've found the last remaining portion of this interview that exists. But when he speaks, he does kind of sound a little low energy and kind of slow, which, look, when you're doing overnight radio and you're trying to keep people awake, you don't necessarily want people that are low energy. But I'm going to replay for you a portion of what he said because, honestly, I found it very convincing. I found it very convincing, and not that my opinion means anything, but I believe Martin Luther King Jr. was killed as a result of a conspiracy. 800-848-9222. Here's uh, William Pepper in an interview with me on this day, Martin Luther King Day 2021. I, I like like most people in America, believe that, uh, that James Earl Ray was guilty, was a lone assassin, and uh, was, was duly tried, convicted, and sentenced. And... Uh, then at one point I had a conversation with Ralph Abernathy, and Ralph um, uh, asked me if I would be kind enough to go to the prison with him and uh, and interview James, and or rather interrogate James. And I told Ralph I knew nothing about the case, that I hadn't done any work on it, that I assumed that James was guilty, and it would take me some time. This was back in 1978, would you believe, 77, 78. So I said I would need some time to 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 brief myself on, on the case again, which I did. And then in August of 78, we went up to the prison and uh, I put James through a grueling five-hour uh, interview interrogation. And as a result of that... That that interview, everyone in the room, and there were, that included Ralph, myself, 
James's lawyer at the time was Mark Lane, a psychiatrist from Harvard whom I brought along who was a body language specialist who intensely look at uh, at James when I put him on under stress and uh, myself and James. Everyone in the room was convinced that James O'Reilly was not the shooter, that he didn't kill Martin King. Now, we, I'm, I'm hasten to conclude at that point in time in 1978, we tended to believe that uh, still that he had some role to play in it but that he was not the actual assassin. But he raised enough issues, raised enough questions that I began to go on a solitary basis quietly into Memphis, Tennessee, and began to look up people and interview witnesses and uh, started, if you will, an informal investigation of the case. So that was William Pepper, and uh, he's devoted really the last 50 years of his life to uh, basically correcting the record. And I think this jury in 1999 largely helped him do that. I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. By the way, do you know what Martin Luther King Jr.'s name was when he was born? Any idea? Tony, do you have any idea what Martin Luther King Jr.'s name was when he was born? It's not Martin Luther King? You would think so, and that's probably what most people think, but it was not. For the... You want another guess? No, because I'm, 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 I'm lost. Okay. For the first five or so years of his life... um. Martin, the man we know as Martin Luther King Jr. was named Michael King Jr. for his father, Michael King. So um, then in 1934, uh, Michael King Sr., he was sent to on a multinational trip, including to Berlin, for the Congress of the Baptist World Alliance. And he also visited sites in Germany that were associated with the Reformation leader, Martin Luther. So basically, um, when he comes back in August of 1934, Michael King Sr. not only changes his own name to Martin Luther King Sr. after Martin Luther, but he changes his five-year-old son's name to Martin Luther King Jr., which I, I always found... So interesting. Now, my son is two, but, he, you know, he knows his name. And, you know, he points to himself and he says, Carmine. Uh, I say, whose picture is that? He says, Carmine. Sometimes he calls himself Carmi. But I can't imagine calling a child, and I'm not criticizing them. Clearly, it worked out. But I can't imagine calling a child Michael for five years and then all of a sudden saying, oh, your name's not Michael anymore. It's now Martin Luther. I mean, that's really something, I think. But, you know, when you're struck by divine inspiration, you're struck by divine inspiration. It's like when my wife changed the cat's name. All right, 800-848-9222. John calling from KMOX in St. Louis. John, we're on every day there now, you know. 
You know, and I appreciate that. I We only had you on Sunday nights, and then I started hearing you on more and more, and I was like, great. I'm glad he's on now. Wonderful. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for, uh, and all the folks out there for your advocacy and in, in getting them to, uh, to carry us every day. So I appreciate that. Yes, most definitely. I just kind of want to reflect on Martin Luther King, and mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, in keeping his dream alive now, uh, there has been strides made in civil rights, but there's still struggles that are still going on out there. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of the younger generation now, and I think it's, it, it goes with social media, uh, other aspects uh, of being taught in school and stuff like that, of not really understanding the true civil rights of the 60s. You know, I'm only 58 years old. I was two, almost two years old when Martin Luther King passed away. But, you know, in school, we were, we, I read about him, uh, went through his life. Went through the 60s, you know, reading about what he did and everything back into the 50s and that, you know, and the 60s were really a big turning point, you know, for civil rights. And really, to tell you the truth, thank God for Lyndon Maines Johnson, because uh, he, he was a catalyst uh, with Martin Luther King in, in signing the, uh, you know, Civil Rights uh, Act in uh, 1965. But I really wish a lot of the younger generation now would really wake up to the fact of why uh, why he why he struggled, why he went out there, and he did what he did in nonviolent ways, you know. Well, I would agree with you. I honestly, though, think that because he's been so successful um, in terms of beating back the tide of racism in America, to where I don't think, like you know, I don't really think there is systemic racism in America today. I mean, I know there's racism uh, uh, and I know there's hate for various groups, including blacks. But, you know, gone are the days of essentially legalized apartheid, which we had in the South at that time. I mean, we had uh, two terms of at least a half black president that would have been unthinkable in the 1950s. So I think maybe part of the reason that young folks, um, if if that's what you're saying, is if part of the reason that young folks don't necessarily appreciate how incredibly he was and how progressive he was is because he was so successful. Exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately he was struck down, uh, you know, what, 39 years old and, uh, and couldn't really keep going. I think if he would have been, if he was still alive today. I think things would be a bit different now than what they, what they are now, but you got to take a look at, there's a whole spectrum of groups now that really want to come in and weigh in on things, you know, yeah, it's it's something, but uh, let's keep the dream alive, and I hope everybody remembers Martin Luther King tomorrow. Thanks a lot. For Thanks, John, uh, today. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Russell is in White Plains. Hi, Russell. Hey, Frank. You know, listening to that Larry talk about how we should remember that it's build, baby, build, and not burn, baby, burn. When we hear that on WABC every hour or two, just shows what a racist he is. I like. All right, well, don't pick on my- any of the other callers, Rusk. I defend you when people call in and and uh, try to pick on you. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to call and and badmouth one of the other callers. Okay, but I hear him all the time, and believe me, he badmouths me. All right, Russell, and thank I- thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Sorry, um, I, I don't like that. I mean, you want to criticize me? I'm here to defend myself. Question me. Attack me. I, to call up, a, a, you know, and complain about another caller. I mean, come on, don't do that. E. Frank's in a story. Hi, E. Frank. 
Yes, uh, hi, uh, Frank. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I, I'm a supporter of Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. I actually met uh, Dr. Uh, Pepper when I was small. I, I met him, you know, casually. But I just want to say uh, I want to give my condolences to the Joyce Randolph family. You know, I saw her on TV one day. She was very distraught. She came out of hospice and she was uh, giving an interview on TV, and then I had to hear that she passed over, passed on on Saturday, and that hurt me a lot because uh, she was very entertaining and a nice lady and everything. She seemed like a knowledgeable, wise lady from back in the 50s. Uh, but Mar- uh, I'm just a little bit distraught from her death. All right. Well, uh, I'm, my condolences to you about it, E. Frank. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Ron is in Michigan, where we're airing on uh, AM 910, the Superstation. Hello, Ron. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I was 18 years old when Dr. King was assassinated. He was a sheet metal apprentice in Chicago. And uh, it was a normal day at the... Uh, we had to go to school. Friday was the was the day I went to we went to school for sheet metal apprenticeship, and attention was uh, red hot. Okay, in, in the school, and uh, fights were breaking out, fist fights, big you know, gay, uh, groups were forming to fight, and, and then at ten o'clock they said everybody get out, go home, and there was lines snaking uh, back and forth through the west side, where I was going back to my neighborhood, you know, bumper to bumper, and it was still daylight, so uh, there was no. Uh, attacks on the cars going back and forth. But uh, a year later, I went to Vietnam, and there's no doubt in my mind that uh, JFK, RFK, and King were killed because of their opposition to the Vietnam War. And uh, the, at the time, because I went in right after King was killed, and the racial tension within the military and in Vietnam, it was red hot, okay? And uh, if, if Dr. King had lived, and that message of anti-war against the Vietnam War had gone forward, you would have had mass protests in the military, within the military, in Vietnam, mm. and you would have had racial tension breaking out with armed groups within the military fighting each other. And, and this, this is another conspiracy theory, but while I was in Vietnam, the heroin epidemic started, created by the CIA, Professor Alfred McCoy, Politics of uh, Heroin. You can look that up, University of Wisconsin. But uh, I believe the, the heroin epidemic was put into Vietnam and, and went worldwide to quell the unrest that was happening within our soldiers in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, it's it's just part of history. And uh, All I, right, I really so essentially you agree with me that he was killed because of his opposition to the Vietnam War. No doubt about it. All right, thank you, Ron. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. There's two open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Throw myself up in 
I love this song. Uh, you know, I was listening to a conversation this past weekend uh, with Jimmy Kimmel and um, Jimmy Fallon uh, surprised Howard Stern at his house for his birthday. So they basically they did a, an impromptu radio show and they ended up having a lengthy discussion about this song. And if you listen to it, it it's an upbeat song, but if you listen to the lyrics, they're incredibly sad. They're incredibly depressing. And, you know, even the, the title and the main part of, it, part of it, alone again. And then the saddest part of it is, naturally, of course he's alone again. I mean, it is, uh, it is kind of a bummer, but at least it's delivered well. The great Gilbert O. Sullivan. All right. Uh, going to get back to your calls in a minute. 800-848-9222. So I told you last week how I won the football pool that I am in with, I think, 23 other players. Even though, I'll be honest, I don't know that much about football. I'm just a fan. I, I enjoy watching the game. I'm not an expert in statistics, not an expert in strategy. You know, even some of the rules uh, I get confused by if there's changes in the onside kick rule. Uh, the fair catch rule, uh, sometimes I operate on old brain cells, but I enjoy watching the game. I think it's a, a really a, a, just a fun thing as a, a spectator. So I participated in the playoff pool as well. So I won. So I was on the fence about the Cleveland-Houston game on Saturday because, because that's the only game that I didn't have a strong feeling for. So Kilmeade on this program Thursday morning says, Cleveland, take it to the bank, go with Cleveland. And my wife said, Houston, even though, you know, she had not basing it on anything, she just gut. So I said, all right, I got to go with my wife. So thank goodness I went with my wife because Houston destroyed them. There was a landslide. I mean, Houston, it wasn't even competitive. And I felt bad for Joe Flecko because he's 100 years old. Who knows how many playoff appearances he's going to have left as the quarterback. But it was, um, I was, I was glad. So one for one with that game. Then I think everybody knew that the Chiefs were going to win um, the Saturday night game, the very controversial Peacock game, which I, I'll be honest, I'm a little tired of hearing people complain about that, okay? But fine. So I did something in addition to just participating in this football pool that I'm in with, you know, I think this is 20 people for the playoffs. Few people didn't do the playoffs. I I said, let me try something, because I have never placed a sports bet online. I think it's been legal for about two years now. I have never placed an online sports bet. Never. I Because, honestly, I'm afraid that I, I would get carried away. So I, um, I, I will place bets on sports, but at a casino. I'll bring cash, and I'll only bet with what I'm prepared to lose. I never wanted to go down this road. So my friend John was over Saturday. We're watching the game, and he tells me he bets once in a while on these online sports bets. And I tell him, you know, basically I'm afraid I would get carried away and gamble too much. And he says, well, you know what I do is you have to – you can't just put your credit card in there – and just run up these big bills. You have to put money in your account first. So don't put money in there that you're not prepared to lose. So I don't know what it was. I found it very convincing. I placed on Saturday my very first online sports bet. And I put in $100. 
and I bet $100 on the Kansas City Chiefs with the spread to um, to win. And sure enough, they won. So I, I got back $90. I won $90. So I got a total of $190. So that's kind of cool. $90, bucks, nothing to sneeze at. I bought a round of drinks um, at the dinner party that I was at on Saturday. So then I'm two for two in this pool. Then... You have uh, the uh, the four thirty game on Sunday, which was um, remind me who that was, uh, and, uh, Tony. Um, you had Dallas and Green Bay. Oh, Dallas and Green Bay. So I took Green Bay, even though Dallas was heavy, heavily favored because of that Happy Days episode where Ralph becomes a problem gambler and he says Green Bay can't lose. Also, I'm a little tired of the arrogance of all the Cowboys fans, two Super Bowls and everything. It's just. It's uh, not for me. So I took Green Bay. Sure enough, Green Bay wins overwhelmingly. Not even with the point spread. They won overall. And I'm three for three. There's only six games this weekend. And, you know, there's two uh, on Monday today. One had to be postponed because of the weather in Buffalo. I said, my goodness, I should forget about this radio stuff. I should be a professional football handicapper because I'm the most accurate football analyst in the world. Then... This Lions-Rams game starts, which I took Detroit, even though they haven't won a playoff game since uh, Bill Clinton was president. I take Detroit, and Detroit opens up this big lead. And I'm kicking myself. I said, I should have bet on this game, too. And I'm poised to be 4 for 4 And then, all of a sudden, the Rams come back. Now, Detroit still holds on and wins the game, which I'm happy about. But they won by one point when they were favored by three and a half. So even though Detroit won, because of the point spread, I actually lost that one. So so be it. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.